Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And we are back for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb with my friend. Well, I mean, I give so many descriptions. I've never said. I'm trying to do something different. So, former McDonald's All-American. A uh, guy who <laughs> headed up the NBA Players Association. Uh, running the Top 100 camp. And, of course, you hear him on various basketball broadcasts from helping with the analysis of the Detroit Pistons to also getting into the college basketball commentary over on ESPN, I'm talking about my friend, Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you, my man? I'm good, and I want this to be a college football-free zone. I don't want to talk any football. I want to focus just on basketball. And I have to tell you, I am so glad that it started. Um, started very well, relatively speaking. Um, I know 50 schools have, have temporarily shut down their program, um, including some really big names like Baylor and Oklahoma and Tennessee and Syracuse. But Michigan is playing. They're taking care of business, and I'm so happy. Yeah, so, Tim, before we dive into to Michigan, they have two games under their belts now. I, I kind of want to get your your broad brush take on just the opening of the season and what you thought of, of other Big Ten teams before we dive into the maize and blue. How did the rest of the Big Ten sort of strike you in their opening action? Yeah, I, I had an unbelievably satisfying holiday um, over Thanksgiving because I watched a ton of Big Ten basketball. The league deserves a ton of credit. Uh, everybody has played except Northwestern. They open up on Wednesday. But I think the Big Ten is awesome. I, I've watched most of the teams, um, and, and this is the best league, top to bottom, that I have ever seen anywhere. Like 14 teams. Seven of the 14 are ranked and big 10 teams are 26 and two. I know that it's not the the best competition quite yet. Um, The loss is Purdue lost to, I think it was Clemson and Nebraska lost to a really good Nevada team. So those are both respectable losses. But over the last five days, I I watched eight of the big 10 teams play and I'm going to make an early prediction for you. I know you like those a lot. Uh The big 10 champ this year is going to share the title, okay? There's no dominant team, and whoever raises a banner will have five conference losses, Um, and there will be no number one seed in the NCAA tournament from the Big Ten. There's no team that really feels like a Final Four favorite, Um, but I think that that you're going to see whoever it is, whoever the Big Ten champ is, and it's probably going to be multiple teams, you're going to have five losses. All right, so let me get this straight. <laughs> As you talk about the strength of the league, are you talking about the uh, the amount of parity in the league when you, you look at some of the teams uh, that would be maybe perceived to be on the lower end of the, the Big Ten spectrum actually being teams that could play with the teams that are perceived to be in the upper tier? Or are you just talking about, like, the – the strength of the the top teams in this league relative to other years. That's that's pretty lofty, the best you've ever seen. It's the best I've ever seen. And, and everybody is good. Everybody is good this year. And and so we both picked Wisconsin as mm-hmm. the favorite, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let me explain a little deeper about why I think five losses in the conference can get you a, a title. Wisconsin this year, I was just looking at their road games. Listen to who they play on the road at Michigan State, at Michigan, at Rutgers, at Maryland. And you're still in January. Those are your road games, okay? You start February. Where do you you go to Illinois, okay? Nebraska, they're a lot better, but Wisconsin will probably beat them. Um, And then you close Big Ten play in March at Purdue, at Iowa, okay? Those are really tough games. So if you're saying – that Wisconsin will play 500 on the road, that means that they've got to win every single home game. If not, that's five losses in Big Ten play. And when you look around the landscape of college basketball, as I said, I watched a lot. 
Gonzaga's the best team. It's not even close. Drew Timmy, Corey Crispert, Jalen Suggs, those guys are awesome. They are by far the best. But I watched Kansas and Villanova and Virginia. They've all lost already. Uh, Richmond beat Kentucky. We'll, we'll learn a little bit more about Duke and Michigan State on Tuesday. But I just, I just have not seen a lot of teams that impress me that much more than the Big Ten. Um, maybe that you know a team to watch Houston, Houston Cougars. I really like them a lot. But other than that, think about thirty percent of the the ranked teams right now are from the Big Ten. Sure. Sam, this team is this conference is loaded with good teams. Yeah, for people who haven't you know paid attention to the rankings yet in this young season, the Big Ten has the number three team in Iowa, the number four team in Wisconsin, the number five team in Illinois. Michigan State checks in at number eight. Then at 23, 24, and 25, you, you know, you got, you're talking about Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan. And so uh, I, get, I, I get the uh, – you talk about the overall strength of the conference. To have that many ranked teams to start the season does seem different. Now, I think the thing that will throw people is they will look at other top years in the, in the Big Ten – uh, where the top teams are are maybe considered better than the top teams this year. But to your point, Tim, the strength from top to bottom in the league might be as good as it's ever been. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And it'll be interesting to see how Michigan figures into it because the Wolverines, they come out of the box uh, against Bowling Green. And let's just start there, Tim. Uh, you know, they have some talent over at BGSU. Uh, you know, Justin Turner – was a guy, I mean, he looked like, and they said during the broadcast, he looks like a Big Ten player. That was a guy that was on the radar as far as transfers were concerned uh, with Michigan. Now, he eventually decided to go back to BGSU. Michigan, obviously, was focused on other guys, including Sean D. Brown. But you saw that BGSU has some talent and that Michigan was able to get itself together offensively and really take off, Tim. That was impressive to see in the opener. Now, I like Justin Turner a lot. And he, he played a renaissance in Detroit. He was at the Michigan League 25 every year. Big fan. He's going to be an overseas pro. And, and I, I think it's important to note that Bowling Green is the favorite in the MAC, which means they've got a great chance to play in the NCAA tournament. So that's going to end up being a really good win for, for Michigan once they go ahead and select the NCAA tournament. So, so here are a few thoughts. Um, I didn't like the fact that the Trey Diggs and Justin Turner, both seniors, both top scorers combined for 45. That that concerns me because good defensive teams, Sam, they can identify who the hot shooter is, who the go-to scorer is, and 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 they can take them away. And Michigan never did that. The two best scorers for BG just kept rolling the whole game. Also, Michigan's defense only forced six turnovers. That's not good enough. They gave up 12 threes. If you want to win a Big Ten championship, you've got to be a much better perimeter defense, and and I didn't think that Michigan was. Yeah, I you know I think they did a pretty good job on on Justin Turner. All things considered, he put up twenty four shots to get his points, uh, and so it, it was you know it, and I, I'm not saying that he was jacking, uh, but he took he put up a lot of contested shots, and you saw it in in how he finally finished up with nine for twenty four. But to your point, uh, the the defense has some work to do. Uh, and I think that that is, we get into talking about the Oakland game is something that we're, we're going to touch on as well. But what I really liked in that game, Tim, was, was offensively, they shared the basketball really well. And entering this season, one of my biggest question marks is at the point guard position, how would Mike Smith handle the transition from being a score-first point guard to a guy who needed to be deferential, who needed to be a setup man, to get his teammates more involved. And I thought in his first performance, getting to the rim, uh, being very, very, I think, selective in when, when to go for his own offense versus, to, versus uh, you know, getting others involved, I thought he handled it really well, uh, shot a good clip, was four for six from the field, had eight assists to go along with his 16 points. I know there are, we're going to talk about, you know, Shondi Brown, who had a good shooting game, Isaiah Livers, I uh, had more points as well, but I thought, at least to me, the player of the game was Mike Smith for how he he ran the floor, how he uh, was the floor general on the night. 
I immediately like him as a player. And, and once again, this is such a unique year because we haven't seen any of these guys play, you know, with, with the, 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 the choice of who are you going to take? Well, we're going to take for sure. We're going to take Mike Smith because he's a, an elite scorer. He averaged 24 points a game at Columbia. He's a dominant Ivy league scorer. But, but the question that I had coming in and you maybe did as well. So what, it, what exactly does that mean right. um, at, at the big 10 level? Right. Is he, is he, is he going to be just one of those guys on a bad team that can jack up shots and get his numbers or can he really fit in? And what I saw, and I, and I'm going to talk about Sean D Brown too, because both of those players, I think play with great excitement about being part of something that, that could be special. Remember if you play in the Ivy league or if you play at wake forest, you're going to get hammered and you're going to be at the bottom of the standings and you're never going to have a chance to play for anything of relevance. Well, that's, that's not the case for those guys. And, and Brown and Smith combined for 10 of 14 from the field. They had 11 assists combined. Their defense was active. They, they had low fouls, great energy, their body and and, and their, their, their whole body movement was so good. And I also wondered they were combined six for nine for three. And I, I asked myself, wow, is this who they are? Or <laughs> right. was it maybe an aberration? Are they going to come back down to earth? Right. Uh, so, so, so what, what I'm thinking though, is we kind of know who Michigan's go-to guys are. And if Mike Smith and Shondi Brown are your number four or five options, that's a really good offense. Right. They, they sort of keyed them offensively in that first game. Uh, Shondi Brown shot it exceptionally from the from the field and I thought thought like you I mean if this is indicative I mean he's not going to shoot you know five for seven from three every game but if he can be a a high percentage three-point shooter look out now as we get into the next game uh, obviously he came way back down to earth against Oakland Uh, but you know Mike Smith his ability to get in the paint I thought he was really really you mentioned active he was he was a pesky defender he fought through screens it's like okay so he's going to play that end of the floor too I think you got a good feel for that. There was a lot to feel good about. You didn't like, uh, you know, some of the defense they played. The The biggest question I had coming out of that game, it was, it's one, it was one game at the time, now two games. You know, Franz wasn't really able to get on track. And, you know, he's the guy that we expect to be the guy for Michigan. It's great that they've had this early success without him being the guy, but he hasn't found that shooting mark yet, Tim that I expected him to have. And I wonder if there's anything that you, you notice. Is it just, you just look at it and say, this is just the start of the season. Uh, this kind of, this, this just happens. What did you see when you looked at Franz? Well, there were, there were a couple of things. Number one, I agree. Franz does not look like an all big time player. Um, he, he needs to be the team's best driver. And because he was not, I didn't think that that Michigan has done a very good job getting the paint against either Bowling Green or Oakland. Um, I also think that that with Franz, he's he's going to thrive against really good defenses where the easy shots are taken away. One of the things that that was kind of interesting, especially in the Bowling Green game, is that that Michigan whipped the ball around so much that anybody could shoot. I mean, there there was not much difference between a great shot and a pretty good shot. You know, so so guys were they were looking aggressively for theirs. And he just didn't get as many opportunities. I think when you get into to, to good scouting report teams, Franz is going to be more in situations where he catches the ball and they just need somebody to put the ball on the floor to the rim. But I was concerned because he is not looking for his perimeter shot. And that's one of the most important things is that that he's got to be a guy that can knock down, you know, 35% of his threes for this offense to really take off. Because if not, they're just going to back off and say, go ahead and shoot. We, we're just not going to let you get to the rim. Um, it is important, though, also to give him credit because how many how many small forwards or big guards can go ahead and grab 13 rebounds in a game? I mean, he he is just a pure rebounder with his length. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's good to see. I mean, that's a guy that we learned last year does not let his offense or lack thereof affect the other parts of his game. So you you know he's going to – Continue to play both ends of the floor. Uh, you know he's going to be he's going to be active when it comes to talking to his teammates. Uh, it definitely is going to share the basketball. I mean, all the things that you like to see a guy do uh, when his offense isn't isn't going. 
But it it definitely was noticeable that he was not he has not in the first two games been anywhere close to the uh to the you know top offensive performer. So that'll be something to look forward to. And you can look at it from a glass half full perspective and say, Well, hey, you know, they have they found their their bearings offensively from start to finish in game one with Autumn and in game two when winning time came. Uh, it was the Hunter Dickinson show that kind of turned that around. So great to see them able to turn it on offensively without Franz leaving the way, leading the way. But but definitely is something to look forward to or look for as we move forward. But it's great. It's great to have that depth. Yeah. And and Sam, were you at all concerned that maybe ten is too many guys to play? I mean, it's a luxury because you can play a little faster and fouls maybe not be a, a huge issue and. Maybe injuries short term, that's okay too. But the best thing is the competitive practices. But I just I, I think that from a talent acquisition process, this is something that Juwan Howard is going to really enjoy. Michigan fans will as well. Seven guys right now averaging seven and a half or more points per game. You know, Tim, I think it's an outstanding point. It's something I took notice of and and not being a coach, just giving you my speculation from afar. I think this is an early season thing that, you know, you're you're feeling out your rotation, feeling out the readiness of, of certain guys. I, I think the rotation as they get deeper in, into the season or even the non-conferences, you're going to see things kind of, you know, constrict a bit and, and maybe get down closer to an eight-player rotation. But it was also noteworthy to me that we, we've seen Zeb Jackson and Terrence Williams at a good, you know, at a decent clip here over the first couple of games, uh, just to kind of feel out and assess their readiness. But, but like I like you said, you know, ten players regularly in the rotation. I, I think it's from a from a you know a gelling standpoint on the floor and how well guys play together from a rhythm standpoint from the guys who are who are playing consistent minutes. I, I think you when you lengthen the rotation like that, you do run the risk of disrupting those things. So I just feel like this is an early season thing that will work itself out as Juwan sees how different guys are playing. Well, this goes back to the predictions you like, okay? I think that there's a pretty good chance that at some point this year, Michigan will have seven different players lead their team in scoring. Mm -hmm. And, And so you've got the obvious is Isaiah and Franz. Um, Mike Smith will have a big game or two. Eli Brooks will as well. Hunter Dickinson, there's there's no doubt he will. But but when you you look at the the fact that that Shondi Brown's on that list too, that's a lot of guys that can lead your team. And at some point, you know, we saw Brandon Johns have a big game against Indiana. Um, Austin Davis at some point is going to get you 13 or 14 points in a game. He's going to break out and have a big game at some point. So that's a lot of different guys that can step up when you need some help on a given night. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So you've been on deep teams throughout your career. You certainly had some some really deep teams during your Michigan career. And one of your former teammates is set to join us, Tim. We're going to be talking to Richard Relford. Tell us about Rich. Richard Relford is is one of the most dynamic and exciting players that I ever played with. I, I think that Joel Thompson back in the Phil Hubbard era, was the highest jumper that I ever saw. Richard Relford was very close. And at 230 pounds, what a physical specimen. He he was one of the greatest acrobatic alley-oop dunkers that I've ever seen. And he just, he went, he goes down as one of the best small forwards in Michigan basketball history to me. All right. So what we'll do now is we'll take a pause. And when we come back on the other side, we will be joined as Tim said, one of the greatest leapers to ever put on the maize and blue and run the hardwood here in Ann Arbor, Richard Relford. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are back on the Michigan Basketball Insider with one of the best athletes to ever grace the floor over what was then called Chrysler Arena. He was a McDonald's All-American out of the state of Florida and brought his game up to the Great Lakes State. I'm talking about Richard Relford. Richard, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? How you doing, Sam? Doing great, man. Doing good. Doing good, man. Hey, Sam, I, I'm talking about one of the most incredible performers in Michigan history. 6'7", 230, small forward, one of the truly great leapers in Michigan basketball history. He was an NIT champ, Big Ten champ. And in today's game, I'm telling you, he would have been a social media sensation with all the dunks and the acrobatics. Rich, it's so good to have you on with us, man. Tim, it's, it's really nice, man, to, to be on with you. And I'm so happy that we all of us stayed in contact because I talked to Butch yesterday and uh, Antoine Jobert. So thank you, man, for having me on. So so I, I want you to, to share with our listeners a little bit about um, what what you're doing these days. I know your son Justin is a really good recruit. And, uh, just give us a little update on, on what Richard Relford is doing. Well, uh, you guys probably don't know, I'm the director of sports at the YMCA in Savannah, Ohio, and we're still open. And I deal with kids from ages 5 to 11. And I always tell people it's like my dream job because I get to work with young children all day long. So all I do is smile and laugh. And so it's one of the great things that I get to do uh, one of the other things that I'm doing is I, I, I get to watch my son uh, grow up and, and, and play basketball like I did, but but is a much better shooter than me. And I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this recruiting process with him. That's great. That's great. So for those that, that don't remember Rich and his illustrious career, um, played with the Spurs for a little while in the NBA, but had a 15 year pro career. Uh, 12 different teams around the world, five in the CBA. I, I was laughing because. You know how most guys, they have their old uniforms framed. I was looking at Wikipedia. You have 22 frames. <laughs> listen, listen, I, I, I laugh about that because I don't know. You probably know Ken Barlow because we played him in the NIT part. Yeah, uh-huh. And Ken always posted his jerseys that he had from when he played in Europe. And he had like seven of them. And we laughed because he said, Rich, 18, whoa. <laughs> so, so, Rich, what, what, what are some of your favorite Michigan memories? Well, to be honest, one of my first memories were when we won an NIT in the garden with you. Uh, it was the first national championship that the school had won in a very long time. And so that kind of, we kind of renewed the winning again. We started the winning again at Michigan. And it was one of the greatest memories that I ever had. Now, my second memory that I have, my junior year, we're getting ready to play Indiana uh, on ESPN. Uh, for the Big Ten title. But the day before that, we walking in, and you know how the teams get to shoot around before, you know, the, the day before. And Bobby Knight had grabbed Coach Frieder by the head and gave him a noogie. <laughs> and it pissed us. Listen, Tim, we were so mad that he did that. When Coach came back into the locker room, we said, Coach, why you, why you let him do you this way? And Coach looked at all of us and said, Ah, oh, it's cool. We're going to kick their ass. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We beat them by 20 on ESPN. Hey, man. So, Richard Relford, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some names, and then we're going to do a little association. Just stay with me for a minute. So, I, okay, I, look, I, at, I look at 1980, and I see Tim McCormick. He's from Clarkston, Michigan. I look at 1981. I see one of my all-time great players and idols, a guy I idolize, Eric Turner from Flint, Michigan. I look at 1982, I see a guy, Roy Tarpley, from Detroit, Michigan. Butch is from, from Boston. I look in 83, I see Antoine Jobert. He's from Detroit. 85, Lloyd Vaught, Grand Rapids, Glenn Rice, Flint. I'm looking around, and I see this guy named Richard Relford from Florida. Now, that kind of sticks out like a, a thumb to <laughs> me, man. How, how does Richard Relford come up from the Sunshine State to the to the state of Michigan with all these Michigan guys and Midwest guys, what brought you up all this way? Well, they need to thank Anthony Carter. 
Because okay. Anthony Carter was playing football at Michigan. And Mike Boyd basically lived at my house in Florida because Coach Boyd was there every week. And they didn't realize, and I tell everybody this, Sam, I knew before I went to Michigan that I was going to Michigan because I came up my sophomore year to a basketball camp. And Anthony, I stayed with Anthony Carter. And I saw how the people treated him, not thinking, but they treated him like this because he's an All-American his sophomore year. And at this point, he was a, the only three-time All-American in the school. It had only been three of them in history. And he was one. Not me not knowing all of this. Uh, I just thought that they, you know, people just loved their athletes. Until I got here, then I found out they really loved their athletes at Michigan. And it helped me uh, tremendously uh, to kind of fall right into place up here. The funny thing about it is that... You know, when there was a big time recruit that came in, I remember Bill Frieder always had me take him out. And when Richard Ralford came up, I, I was really excited to spend time with him. I never even saw him. <laughs> he, was, he was with AC the whole time, hanging out the football building. Tell, tell us about your visit, Rich. Well, one of the cool things is the first place that I went to when I got to Ann Arbor was to Thanos. Can you remember Thanos restaurant? Yes. Now Perry, Perry, Perry uh, has a whole lot of things going on, but. That was the first place I went. And when I walked in there, I saw these pictures on the wall of guys like Anthony, yourself. And I'm saying, well, this must be our kind of place right here. They must really love us. And so once I got here, man, I just started seeing all the love and how they treated guys like family. And then I also saw that a couple guys like Zeke, a couple football players had already graduated and they were still in Ann Arbor. And the people treated them as if they still went to school here and played football. And I just thought that was really interesting. I was like, wow, they really care about us like that, even if, you, if you're not playing anymore? And so that helped me, man. I'm going to tell you, my decision was not a hard decision at all. Trust me. Yeah, so when you look back on it, Rich, I mean, one of the things that sticks out to me, and we just talked to Eric Turner here recently. I mean, Tim McCormick, Mickey D's, Eric Turner, Mickey D's, Richard Relford, Mickey D's. I mean, you guys, in your day, I mean, Michigan was getting McDonald's All-Americans like clockwork. Now, we have seen that that is not necessarily uh, something that you have to have to compete for championships. John Beeline was able to do it without McDonald's All-Americans, but it really looks like that that's back on the horizon for Michigan, that there will be those guys in the fold uh, under Juwan Howard. And I wonder, does that have any meaning to you as a former McDonald's All-American? Listen, all the McDonald's All-Americans, all of us, uh, it's a nice fraternity and it's, it's great that uh, the school is starting to get more back now. Uh, I, I tease Jawan all the time because when my class came in, we were the first Fab Five. Uh, and so I tease Jawan now and say, you know, y'all guys were the first Fab Five, but y'all didn't ever win nothing. We won three titles there. Jawan always just fall out laughing. But I think the fraternity of McDonald's All-Americans is a really cool thing to be a part of. But you really, like I tell my son every day, you don't need McDonald's All-Americans to win. Because Beeline proved that to you. Now, don't get me wrong. It's better to have a bunch of them than not to have any. Everybody's not going to be a John Beeline. Everybody's not going to have guys that are not McDonald's All-Americans and be able to win. Coach Beeline was a different kind of guy. You know, he's a different breed. And so, no, you don't need to be a McDonald's All-American, but it's nice to have them. Hey, Rich, I I, um, I want to talk more about Anthony Carter. He's my favorite mm-hmm. Michigan football player ever. And, and so you played high school football with him. You were a tight end, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that Bo – probably recruited you a little bit. Do you, do you have a great Anthony yes. Carter story that you can share? I, I have a great Anthony Carter story, and I have a great Bo Schimbeckler story with me. Uh, because when I came out of high school, I was the number one tight end in the country. That's what a lot of guys they probably didn't remember. And I was a parade All-American in football as well. And so when I got up to Michigan, uh, Bo Schimbeckler, uh, I was walking through the office to go see Coach Frieder. And Bo Schimbeckler said, hey, Rich, I'm surprised he even know who I am. <laughs> and he says, come in my office for a minute. And I go into his office. And he said, hey, we know you was a hell of a football player. You mean to tell me you're going to come up to this school and not play football? I said, coach, I'm not a football player. I was never one in high school. He said, but you're the number one tight end in the country. I said, coach, I played football because my friends told me I could not go to school there if I didn't play football. <laughs> so that's why I ended up playing football at that school. And my Anthony Carter story is, let me explain. You guys saw Anthony Carter, three-time All-American, do some amazing things. 
but you never saw him score seven times in one football game. Uh-huh. Wow. I watched him score seven times, and the way I saw it, he was a he was a junior. I was an eighth grader. I jumped the fence to go watch him play because I didn't have no money to go to the games. And when he did that, I thought it was one of the – to me, Anthony Carter is the greatest football player I've ever seen. Yeah, and Sam, you know what? When Rich says he jumped the fence, like he literally just jumped right over. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim, I really did. I really did jump right over, and it was really crazy. But <laughs> if, if you know anything about my high school, it's a really great football school. Uh, because Devin Hester, who's all-time leading punt returner in NFL history, he went to our high school as well. Okay. And so we had some great players. And in our conference, we had guys like Anquan Bolden, Jesse Hester. These are guys of uh, Webster from Fort Pierce Western. All these guys played in the NFL. And so we had, you know, our area is a football area. But guys like me, Derek Harper, Daryl Mitchell, we all played football. Those two guys I mentioned earlier played at Illinois. Wow. And so we, you know, we had, we, our neighborhood was pretty tough. Man. Wow, Derek. Okay, so that, that takes us back to that. Eric, because we we asked ET who was the toughest guy for you to play against, and he said he said he mentioned Derek Harper. I'm curious, take us back to your time. You mentioned you were part of the first Fab Five, and I think mm-hmm. people from from my era sort of maybe remember the you know sort of the championship team in '89 into the into the Fab Five. They don't realize how talented the first Fab Five was. So if you could touch on that and the talent of Roy Tarpley that I think a whole lot of Michigan fans of this generation really sleep on. And then who was the toughest guy that you faced during your time as a Michigan Wolverine? Well, the toughest guy I had to face was Tony Campbell, who played at Ohio State. Uh, Tony was the toughest guy that I had to guard. And uh, on top of that, uh, as far as Roy Tarpley go, Tim could tell you too, was one of the greatest players that I had ever seen. He just didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. He didn't realize how great he could be. Because he, you know, I laugh because I listen to people say that he had these drug problems in, high, in college. But let me explain to you. He never had drug problems in college. The reason I can tell you this is he was my roommate for three years. Mm-hmm. We had an apartment together. Roy's biggest problem was alcohol. Mm-hmm. Everybody used to say drugs. And me and him used to, I used to look at him and say, yo, man, what are the drugs that they say you're doing? He said, Rich, I don't know what they're talking about. But it was a, it was a family problem with the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think caused him so many problems. But Roy, as a player, uh, was pretty amazing. And, and me having him and Tim McCormick to play with, you have no I- I- idea how easy my job was. Wow. <laughs> when I think about what I, what I remember that recruiting class, the original Fab Five, I remember first day of practice showing up thinking, okay, there's too much height here. I mean, you've got Robert Henderson, Mr. Basketball, Butch Wade out of Boston, 6'8", 6'9". You've got Roy Tarpley, so long at 6'11". And Paul Yokish was a a two-sport athlete. And Richard Relford was the best. I'm thinking, coach, we need some guards. You know, I'm here. We've got got plenty. We don't need all these big guys. (laughs) Hey, Rich, I'm going to let you brag for a second. What is the greatest game? that you ever had? Who was it against and how many did you get? Uh, it was against Iowa. It was a triple overtime and I had 17. And we won. And the whole game, I started that game off with a dunk. That's how we started it off. And so for me, it was probably one of my greatest games. But we have, you know what? My other great game was against Kansas. We played Kansas at home. And we were playing against a couple of my friends that were McDonald's All-Americans with me, mm-hmm. uh, Kerry Trotter and, and Ron Kellogg. And we played against them. And they had Danny Manning. And we played against them, Tim. And I think it was, it was it in the garden. But I mean, it wasn't in the garden. It was in the, in the, in the, in the And we destroyed them. We beat them like, like 15. Damn. Good <laughs> memories. Good. Hey, I, I've got one last question. Um, we've talked a lot about the, the Michigan basketball season. Um, what 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 do you do to evaluate this upcoming season? What what are the the things that you're watching for? Well, one of the things that I was talking about uh, on my podcast show that you're going to be on uh, was this. I don't know if anybody saw it, but I called it out a week ago, Tim. I love to watch Hunter Dickinson. Mm-hmm. When I tell you, because I saw him play in high school, and my son bought me the video. And when I saw this kid, I said, it's just a matter of time before he started. What I love about our Michigan team is, and every, I understand everybody talking about we had a tough game against Oakland. Please, 
Tim, you know how that goes. When you play schools, small schools like Oakland, and they play against schools like us, those guys are, are, are saying to themselves, I'm going to go out here and play the best I've ever played because these guys didn't recruit me. And that's why in the, Oakland played the way they did last night. Uh, I just think that uh, I love Franz Wagner. I love my favorite player is Livers. And I think with that chemistry, uh, I think we're going to be great. Now, somebody who reminds me of myself, I kind of watch Shawnee sometimes. Hmm. Uh, Shawnee kind of reminds me a little bit of myself because he's a little bit all over. And he can, you know, he can shoot, he can jump. And so I think, Tim, all around, uh, I'm, I think we're going to surprise some people in the Big Ten. I think we're going to finish in the top three. Uh, all right, so I want to give you an opportunity to brag, too, before we let you go, Rich. And you mentioned, or maybe it was Tim earlier in the show, Justin Relford. So give me a scouting report on, on young Justin. And then at the same time, is he beating is he beating dad in a game of one on one yet? How is that how is that matchup going to the Relfords? Well, let me explain. He's six three and he's a much better shooter than me, but he don't jump like I did. And he is not as strong as I was. Now, I gotta tell you, I played my son in a one-on-one, and we went to 15th. And after I beat him, yes, I beat him 15 to 12. When I tell you guys I needed an oxygen tank, you needed to try to drive me to the hospital because I felt like I was about to die. <laughs> That's how it was. Uh, he's a good kid. Uh, I, I enjoy his. Matter of fact, his first game is uh, his senior year is tonight. They play against Maumee Valley. And one of the things is it's tough for me, him being a senior with this COVID thing, this Friday coming, maybe they won't play again until June, I mean, January the 11th. Mm-hmm. So he only get one game in right now. Uh, but they're trying to change it. But I enjoy it, man. And just like I did with my brother, my son talks so much to my guys. My son tell me if he was playing back when I played, he tell me, Dad, I dunk all on you. And I'm saying to myself, <laughs> and who going to pick you up off the ground after you did that? <laughs> uh, hey, man, Rich, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure, man. Always a joy to hear, you know, Tim catch up with former teammates. Man, this is – I would love to see. And this maybe this is the last one. So the best team you were on, Rich, versus the you know the best team of the late eighties, which is the championship team or the Fab Five, man. Who who you got? Who you taking? You know it's funny you saying that because me and Antoine just talked about this yesterday. Me, Antoine, uh, Gary Grant, Tim McCormick, Butchway, or Roy Tarpley, either one. Uh, we'll kill them. <laughs> We would chill them. You co-signing that, Tim? I, because I said, I'm going to put Tim on Jawan and Roy on uh, Chris Weber. And Twan will probably play, play Jalen. Gary going to lock down whoever he on. Whoever he on, he's going to lock down. So, no, man, I'm going to be honest. I think we would we have smacked him in the face. <laughs> Rich never lacked confidence. Thank you, Tim. That's exactly <laughs> Yeah, guys, uh, I love this, man. Thank you. Yeah, and have a, have a great holidays. Good luck to Justin. And Thank you, you're man. My, you're, you're, you're my guy, Rich. Good time. You're my, mine too, Tim. Thanks, guys. Sam, appreciate you guys. All right, thanks a lot. Rich and Ralph. Wow, what a treat, Tim. Uh, it's always fun to hear you catch up with some of your former teammates. Now, I, I sort of said it at the end there. But now that I have you as you and I one-on-one again, are you ready to co-sign what Richard Relford just said? Rich said, give me Tim McCormick, give me Gary Grant, give me Roy Tarpley. Uh, I can't remember who else he threw in. I think he, it was Antoine Jobert. He said, give me those guys. And we we run the Fab Five. You know, he's taking you guys over the championship team at 89. I'm curious, are you ready to co-sign that? Uh, well, I will say this, that my my senior year I left for the NBA so I was an NBA player and did not play with Gary Grant. But if you could have, if you could have um, gone back in the time machine and put me on that team, I, I, I could, I could see that being a great, great game. Um, I want to ask you, who, who's the greatest leaper that that you've seen in Michigan basketball history? Chris Weber, Chris Weber, and, and and so it was not just his vertical, but his second jump, Tim. His second jump, yeah. uh, and that that to me is a measure of explosiveness. He could get off the ground on this second jump while guys were still gathering themselves. I mean, it was just the, the the freakiest thing to see how quickly he could get up off the ground and just flat explode on you. 
So I'm going, I'm going with him. I mean, it's just there have been some other great leapers that I've seen at Michigan. Brent Petway comes to mind as an explosive leaper. Oh, good call. Good yeah. call. Glenn Robinson was a leaper. Yeah, Glenn Robinson was a was a great leaper. Jimmy King was a great leaper as well. But man, Chris Weber, I haven't seen anything like that. Uh, I certainly didn't see anything like that before. I only go back so far, but I definitely haven't seen anything like that since. All right, good. Good stuff so far, Sam. We're we're nailing this thing. Let's keep it up. All right, so let's move on in the basketball discussion of, of here and now. And Michigan had a tougher game against the Oakland Grizzlies than a lot of people anticipated. And, Tim, my thought, my primary thought on why is for much of that game, definitely in the first half, I think they played Oakland's game, and that was one of the reasons why you saw Oakland on top at the break. Yeah, I was um, I was really disappointed, and it, it signaled many areas of concern. Um, I also want to give Greg Campy a lot of credit. Um, he's been a friend of mine uh, for 40 years. When When I was in high school, he was a, a new assistant coach on the staff of Bobby Nichols at Toledo and did an in-home visit. And, and so I've known Greg. I've, I've coached his sons in AAU. I've attended his practices. Uh, my son, Callum, went to his camp every year. So this is somebody that I care about deeply. And, 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 I, and I knew going in that his team's not very good this year. They, they, they showed me a lot more than I expected. Um, but with that being said, I have a lot higher expectations for Michigan than, than how they played against a team that did not practice for three weeks in Oakland. Um, they've got new players, limited size. They lost to Xavier by 52. I thought Michigan was really careless. And, and you know, 15 turnovers in a game is unacceptable. To do it in a half was was just, just really, really disappointing. Um, and if they do that against a good Big Ten team, they're down by 25 at half. I thought that just like against Bowling Green, Oakland drove to the rim too easily. A lot of loose balls that went away from Michigan. They just were not quick. No fast break points, limited post game for the first 29 minutes. And, and maybe one of the, 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 the real determinants is when you watch Michigan play, if they take five free throws and a half, that's, that's not going to work. They, mm-hmm. they have to have guys that get to the rim, and they didn't do it. Yeah, I think a factor in that was the foul trouble for for Mike Smith. He picked up a couple early, wound up only playing 18 minutes in the game. We talked about how well he ran the team in game one, so that was a a, a glaring omission for for much of the game. But when I say they played Oakland's game for the better part of the game, and certainly in the first half, I thought two things really stick out to me in that regard. Number one, they were so intent on pushing it you know, pushing it down the floor, up the floor to to beat that zone down the floor. I think they got reckless with it. To your point, I think it led to a lot of careless turnovers. Them trying to go so fast. You wanna you wanna go fast, but you don't you don't want to be recklessly fast. And I thought they were recklessly fast at times, just rushing things. And then in the half court, I, I thought they settled for too many threes. I mean, there are gonna be nights like against Bowling Green where the threes are falling. Right, they're just going in. But when they aren't falling in, and you have alternatives, you have other other go-tos. You know, Shondi Brown can't go two for 14 from three. I mean, you can't put up 14 threes and, and hit two of them. Uh, and and as I, I should say, now, he was one for 10 for three, but two, two for 14 from the field. You can't put up 10 threes and hit one of them. Uh, and that, yeah. unfortunately, was, was a, a factor for more than just him. Uh, you know, some of the three-point shots that they just flat settled for on that night. And so that's you feel like the success in game one was a was a, as much of a curse as it was a blessing for what it maybe said to those guys heading into the Oakland game. To their credit, Tim, we start to see them work the offense better, work it inside out in the second half, work it through Hunter Dickinson, who I really want you to talk about because that was the difference in this game. Working the ball into your young big fella, who showed you that he wasn't just—he isn't just a scorer, Tim. He's a guy that can pass at a very efficient rate. Wow, you—you um, you said a lot, Sam, and and I want to try to address them all. First of all, Sean D. Brown um, can't—he can't shoot like that, and and shooting is a privilege. 
And if, if you, if you start out and you're one for six or one for seven, you don't keep shooting. You've got to do some other things to, to earn your way back in. You've got to get to the free throw line, get some stuff. He just kept jacking up shots. And, and I just, I was really surprised. Um, also your three best drivers. Well, you've got Franz and you've got Eli and you've got Mike Smith. Those are your three best drivers. They had 13 turnovers together. They, they were very loose with the ball. And, and I will say this, Michigan was favored in this game by 30 and went to overtime. That would have been the single greatest upset of the entire college basketball season this year. They, they flat out were not ready to go and, and versus good teams. They would have been blown out. Also, if they don't like playing against zone, well, they're going to see it a lot more now because of the fact that that they just they didn't act like they knew what they were doing. I, I was I was very surprised. And you know, a lot of my philosophy when I broadcast college basketball games is based on what I learned from a video from Mike Shashevsky. Great coach at Duke had a great DVD on how to attack zone defense. And whenever I was coaching, I followed those principles. And when I watch games, I follow those principles and it's really easy. What you want to do is you want to get somebody flashing to the elbow or to the mid post. And then you've got a big guy or a cutter that's going block to block and flashing right under the basket. It was the simplest thing in the world. And the reason it works so much is because Oakland does not have great size. They don't have any shot blocking. They only blocked one shot the entire game. And, and if it wasn't for Hunter Dickinson, Michigan loses that game, and it may not have been that close. Yeah, and Hunter Dickinson finished with 19 points and four assists. He should have had 30. Uh, they, yeah. they, they just didn't go to it enough. I mean, they, there was no answer for Hunter Dickinson in this game, and there was no excuse not to exploit it more. Uh, but for maybe their inexperience with what he could do. So, I, um, well, you know, I will grant that as, as maybe an early season faux pas, if you will. But now you know. Uh, you know there that's a way to attack zone. You know Hunter Dickinson can make plays for himself and others. And that's whether you whether it's him in the high post or if he is or if he's with his back to the basket down low. He can find guys or go to work himself. It was an impressive showing by the young fella, but I I'm like you. I'm looking around and saying they didn't they didn't attack that in the manner in which they should, especially after he showed the kind of proficiency, Tim, when it came to decision-making and execution. He operated at the highest level of any player on the floor, and that's impressive to say for a freshman, but the rest of the guys, the, the veterans, have to be like, hey, man, we got this is where we need to go. And I think that is probably one of the messages that's being conveyed as they look back over the film of that game. So let me take you to school on post-play versus zone. John Elway. Peyton Manning, the greatest quarterbacks of all time, they were that because they were tough and they were smart and they were talented, but they could see over the defense with their great vision. Hunter Dickinson, if he's your center, no one should ever be successful zoning you. When he catches the ball at the high post, he is their best passer. He might be the best passer on the team regardless of position. And, and so in the first half, he spent a lot of time at the free throw line and at the mid post, and it was fine. But when he went into the low block, there was just no answer. And Michigan knew exactly what to do. And, and I will say this, and, and, I, and I said this last week too, Hunter Dickinson needs to start. Okay, It's easier for freshmen to start the game on the court. Okay, Austin Davis proved he's good as a sub, so let him go to a role where he thrives. Right, Starting the game, Austin Davis has not taken off yet. And, and he may not be comfortable because he's never done it. And also, by starting Hunter, think about this. He didn't play the first nine and a half minutes of the second half. He's their best big man. <laughs> and, and he's going to grow really fast with an expanded role. He's your best passer. He's your best rim protector. He's an excellent rebounder. I just, I was so impressed. And, and he made his free throws. Mm -hmm. He sure did. <laughs> he definitely, uh, I, you know, I thought was a calming presence. I guess, man, you, you're in a tight game with Oakland. I think the guys started to, to feel it a bit. And it was evident on the sideline. And let's get to this, Tim, because this is the, 
This is the outtake on ESPN. This is the outtake on all the broadcasts. Everyone's talking about it. Clearly, Juwan Howard was frustrated, angry, upset with the sloppy play that we just talked about. And the guy that he went after is, you know, it visibly in the form of holding him accountable was Isaiah Livers. And I thought it, there was a message in who he went after. Because he could have he went after a bunch of guys like that, Tim. I mean, Isaiah Livers isn't the only guy who was playing sloppy and loose uh, in that game. But he chose Isaiah. And I think that there was a message in that. But I'm curious, you as a player, what you thought when you saw that. I I just started laughing and I started feverishly writing down notes and observations because number one, I don't like that. I mean, I, I, I never talked back to a coach in my life. It wasn't in my DNA. It wasn't what I was raised with, but, but I have, I have grown to understand that, that there are a lot of things that coaches can do to try to motivate their team. It's kind of like, you know, I remember a game in which uh, we were playing Indiana and they were they were pretty lethargic and Bobby Knight got himself thrown out of the game to try to get his team fired up. And 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 you see it in the NBA a lot, you know, a technical foul doing something really crazy to try to change the emotion is smart. I think that that Juwan was trying to send a message to his team, the equivalent of getting a technical foul, and I think he selected his best leader that could take it, mm-hmm. you know, like you wouldn't want to yell at a young guy and you, you wouldn't want to yell at a guy that's struggling, but he strategically chose his best player. And that gives you a lot of credibility with your team. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives you the ability to say, look, there's no special treatment here. I'm going to get on whoever is making mistakes. And, and I thought that it's going to provide a lot of currency for Juwan Howard because his players know he doesn't, he doesn't show favoritism. So I, I thought it was a very subtle coaching move. Um, and, and I, I think that, I think it played a pretty important role. Yeah. I mean, I had the exact same take, the exact same take Tim, about mm-hmm. him being selected. So I'm glad you saw it the same way, but I don't think that Isaiah coming back at Juwan was, was what you, how you interpreted it. I don't think this was, you know, Eric Spolstra going after Dwayne Wade and Dwayne Wade kind of, you know, taking issue with that and and firing back at him in a in a way that, you know, you wouldn't expect a player to go back at a coach, right? I mean, that's, those are pros, so it's a different kind of player-coach dynamic. But the way Dwayne Wade came back at Eric Spolstra at that time was different. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. downright disrespectful. Now, those two, that there was a message in that for, for Eric Spolstra, respect earned with the rest of the players, respect earned that I think ultimately with Dwayne Wade. But this with Isaiah Livers, when he came back, he was like, all right, coach, I got you, coach. You know, that, I got it. Don't worry. You know, I got you. I'm going to handle it. And that was – so it looked worse than it was, you know, to, now, to me anyway. Yeah, no. So so I, I think that – that one of the the really underrated things that happen in father son relationships is when when um, a, a boy becomes a man. And I had a similar situation with my dad. You know, I was I was older. I was probably already engaged. I you know played in the NBA. I, I owned a house, but you know I always kind of felt like I was still the boy, and he's my dad. And I remember there was a conversation we had. And we didn't agree and we kind of went at each other a little bit and it was very uncomfortable. But I look back on that as a brand new direction in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think he gained a little bit more respect for me. And I felt a little bit proud, like, okay, you know what? I am a man. I'm not a little boy anymore. And, and and it was a catalyst for a a new direction in our relationship. And Isaiah livers is your captain. Right. I mean, he's the, he's the best player on this team. He's the leader of this team. He's probably going to play in the NBA. And, and if he's got an opinion, I think Juwan wants to hear that. And that's, that's, that's part of the evolution. Right. And they, you could see the, the camera. It was good to see them catch the, the makeup, if you will. Right. Uh, so there was a, there was a blow up and then there was the makeup and they caught both, which is, which is very, very important. And I, I think it was noteworthy that it felt like to me that, Isaiah got what he was trying to do, to your earlier point. Uh, not to the point where he uh, he dismissed the 
you know, the approach as, oh, this is Coach just trying to send a message. I think he understood that it was aimed at him too, but he understood that it was aimed at him for a reason. It was aimed at him for a reason that would benefit them all, uh, and I think he took it that way. So that was that was really, really good let, to see, and I let, think it's going to help me, this team moving forward. Let me throw this out at you because it was a very subtle part of that story that I was anxious to see. So, so do you remember who came, who stepped in to kind of grab Isaiah and be the buffer? I cannot remember? remember. No, because nobody did. No, <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody stepped up. And, and I, I was thinking, I think it was CJ Baird that maybe stepped in and, and he was very uncomfortable doing it. And the, um, then I, I thought, well, who would it have been? You know, Franz might not have felt comfortable because he wasn't playing well. Shondi Brown and Mike Smith are newcomers. That that's not really their role. Hunter and Terrence are freshmen that like they don't have that second leader. And and I, I was very interested to see would it be have to be a coach? And and it was a couple of the walk-ons that were seniors that 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 kind of stepped up. So something to keep an eye on, but there's no question that that right now this is Isaiah Liver's team. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, Tim, you just mentioned Terrence Williams, and I was just, I was really impressed with his minutes. Uh, you know, he he ran the floor. He was physical. He was on the glass. He played defense. Uh, he made a couple of good passes inside uh, and picked up a couple of assists. I just really, really, this is, I think, the benefit of a an expanded rotation early in the season, and and, and maybe earning consideration for having a, 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 a lengthier rotation. I don't know if that's going to be the approach, uh, but he certainly, this was good advertisement for, for him having more minutes uh, moving forward, if he can keep how he played against Oakland up. I was surprised to see him play so much. I, I, um, I, I thought he did a fantastic job. Seven points, but it was the chemistry that he had against that zone. He's mm-hmm. an excellent passer. And his defense did not look like a freshman. Um, he he rebounds very very well, and and I I I think he's a winner. And and so one of the um, one of the things that I really was impressed with, and last year Langston Galloway from the Pistons, if he had an off shooting night, everybody would be gone, and he would he would come back onto the court with a manager and get up a hundred shots. Did you see what happened after the Michigan game? I did not. Terrence Williams, 30 minutes after the game, was out there shooting free throws because he was one for five yeah. from the line. And and he was back out there. And I'm telling you right now, mark this down. Terrence Williams will be a captain of the Michigan basketball team someday. Yeah. It was it was definitely impressive to see. And to your chemistry point, the, the chemistry that he has with Hunter Dickinson was apparent. I mean, they just know it felt like the one guy knew where the other was going to be. I mean, I don't know if you got that impression, but you could tell yep. that they were really, really comfortable with one another on the floor. Yeah, they they played a lot of ball together. That's, um, you know, DeMatha versus Gonzaga, uh, Mike Jones, and, and you know, he's the head coach at DeMatha. And, and um, you know, the, that's that's something that, that is really going to be fun to watch over the years because, he is, he's a very similar mindset, physical, tough, but team oriented, very skilled, excellent passers. I, I think you're going to have those guys play a real key role for Michigan off the bench. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about uh, as well as the season continues. You know, we're going to be covering it at length very thoroughly, like we always do here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review it. If you've already done those things, then be sure to spread the word. Tell everyone you know who loves Michigan and loves Michigan basketball about this podcast. They can find it wherever they get their podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, of course, iTunes, wherever they get their podcasts, they can find the Michigan Basketball Insider. Just search uh, Michigan Insider Podcast and up they will come. Tim, uh, another one in the books, man. Always fun to catch up with you, especially uh, a game week and especially when we aren't talking a lick of football. No football zone. I really enjoyed not talking football. I feel much better right now. (laughs) All right, Tim. Great stuff, man. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.